Hi, everybody. This is Tracy Malone. Today, we are going to talk about financial abuse. Financial abuse is so important to victims of narcissistic abuse because we are always taken advantage of. So um, there's something that you need to understand is that 99% of domestic violence victims are financially abused. And it doesn't matter if you have the money or you don't have the money. Um, it happens on every level. It happens in every education. You can be like a Harvard graduate and still be financially abused in a situation like this. It doesn't happen at once. It happens over time. And slowly they ebb and they flow into this control because money is control if you don't have it or if you are the one that's giving the money, right? Um, one of the main reasons that victims stay with narcissists is because they've been financially abused and they don't have the assets or the money to get free. Uh, they don't think that they can do it on their own. Today, my guest, Laura Gutman, is a... Um, a money expert. She is a financial abuse expert. And so I brought her in here to give us some of the rundown. How do we identify it? What are the things to look for? How do we fix this and, and heal from it? And I love the part about um, the sort of psychological um, recordings that we have in our head about money. So without any further ado, let's welcome Laura. Thank you, Laura, so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You know, when it came to financial abuse questions, I was like, she's the girl. She knows. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get someone in here that's going to lead our direction on this way. So can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself so that they can hear your expertise in this matter? Yeah. So my name is Lauren Grootman. I'm a financial educator. Um, I'm a I'm a domestic and financial abuse survivor. I'm also a single mom of four wonderful kids. Um, I have been teaching financial education for about 15 years. And uh, so I've, I've been running my website, laurengroupman.com for 15 years. Um, and I've been on the Today Show, Rachel Ray, Good Morning America. I am, you know, a lifestyle TV expert. And then I also wrote a book called The Recovering Spender, um, which talked about my spending issues uh, before I had children. And so, yeah, I just, I'm a financial educator and I have a passion uh, specifically after my last relationship uh, had, I, I ended up in a domestic violence relationship where there was financial abuse. And so the past couple of years, I've kind of like, pivoted a little bit to like, nobody's really talking about this topic very much. So I'm a financial educator. Let's start talking about the financial abuse that happens. Absolutely. Abuse is like, it, it just ebbs and, and it doesn't happen when someone is in, a, in an abusive relationship. Nothing happens at first, right? It happens right. over time. And so, you know, I want to start out by kind of like an overview of financial abuse and then like going into the warning signs and what is huge for victims of abuse is the psychological blocks to money. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, if they were controlled by it before, they're very fearful of it. Um, and then we'll talk about what people should do to protect ourselves. Sound like a good plan? Sounds like a plan. All right. So um, I, I know that a lot of victims, um, the actual stats from the domestic violence site are that 97 
no, sorry, 99% of victims of domestic violence experience financial abuse as well. Mm-hmm. So can you define, you know, financial abuse from your perspective? Yeah. So I'm actually going to read a definition just because it, I think it gives a really, really good, um, overview. And then I'm going to describe it a little bit. It says, um, so financial abuse is when, uh, people, okay, let me, are we going to, can we cut that part out? <laughs> I pulled up the wrong tweet. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, financial abuse is what happens when somebody really blocks your way to either having access to money, having access to a job, having access to any sort of financial information, whether it be credit scores or assets, basically blocks you out of any sort of information when it comes to your finances. Um, And then they can also use um, financial means to uh, control you, intimidate you. This can even be in the divorce proceedings. Withholding information is also another means of financial abuse. Um, lying on court documents, those kind of things. So, uh, financial abuse can happen in any part of a relationship from beginning. You know, I look back to my relationship and I see signs of it mm-hmm. very early on, um, all the way to the end of the divorce proceedings, there was financial abuse. Um, but I didn't know that's what it was until I started researching it. So that that's basically the nutshell of it. If somebody is preventing you from making money, um, spending money, criticizing how you spend your money, mm-hmm. um, allowing you to get a job. Maybe they won't get a job and they're making you work. Mm-hmm. That was my situation. Um, um, so there's a variety of different ways this plays out. Absolutely. I break it down into two camps, the, the narcissist that works mm-hmm. and blocks you from everything or the narcissist that doesn't work and right. for everything. Right. Right. Um, so either way, you know, people are going to hear what we're saying because they fall into one of those camps. Where exactly. They're either the, the, the breadwinner and, you know, the sugar mama, sugar daddy, um, or you are the one that just, you know, you're given $50 for groceries a week. Everything is controlled to the minutiae, right? Mm-hmm. And you say that, you know, the, the, this follows through into a divorce where you are hiding assets. And, and a lot of times people are so shocked that it's not just during the divorce process. This has been going on for 20 years where they have, right. you know, here's the paycheck and well, my share goes over here and, and you don't even know. And so we've had all of those clients that just have no access to money, can't even get the divorce. And, and it's a horrible like thing. So where do people start? What are the warning signs? Again, two camps, right? Either you have the money or you don't have the money and you're trapped, but right. what are the warning signs people should really be aware of? Well, I think I love how, I know me and you talked on the phone before we did this interview and you were talking about the rich narcissist and the poor narcissist, right? And I loved, I love that distinction because I don't think a lot of people talk about that enough. Um, my narcissist was a, was a poor narcissist when I met him and he didn't have a job. And, um, so for me, I did, he moved into my house. Um, he didn't pay me rent. So I supported him basically for until he started working. And, um, so some warning signs now looking back, I would say, um, getting mad at you if you give up a fight paying for something. Okay. So it's just, it's just a lunch. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, can't you, you can afford to pay for that booking vacations. Mm. 
and to surprise you knowing that they don't have the money to do it. Oh yeah. Okay. This is a big warning, warning sign. Like, let's go away on a romantic vacation. This is going to be awesome. Knowing they don't have the money to do it, knowing that you have to pay for it. That's a, that's a warning sign. Um, on the flip side, the rich narcissist will typically book the vacations, spoil you, take you all over the place, treat you like a queen. You'll feel like I've never been treated this way. Right. Um, and so, uh, it can go, it can go both, it can go both ways. Um, warning signs of them not wanting to sign a prenup, them not wanting to, um, disclose any financial information, them paying for cash with everything all the time. That also was an, was another red flag, um, that, that I've researched, um, <clears throat> them always, um, making excuses for not having money or making excuses for not having a job. That's another red flag. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are just kind of some of the common ones that I've seen, mm -hmm. uh, some gentle, like joking with you about how you spend your money, I think would be, um, would be one. Cause we like, we know that narcissists like to joke and poke, poke, you know, these little jabs. Yep. Um, so poking at how you spend your money, like early on would be one. Also poking at maybe how you, what your job is like, um, early on, like, oh, that, you know, that, you know, you should just stay home. Like you don't, you don't need to work. Like you need somebody to take care of you. Like those are some warning signs, um, of the rich narcissist who wants you, who wants you to like come home and, and, you know, be under their control. They don't want you to work, right. They want you to stay at home. So those are some, some big warning signs. Like you just hit like both of my, my narc relationships on the head from the, the rich one where my husband was an overgiver. I was so uncomfortable. I was like, I don't need 11 pairs of shoes. I don't need 14 dozens roses. I was just like, this is too much. I, I felt mm -hmm. guilty about it. And it was like a, a, a thing, but it was his control. We have to remember that even those with money are using it in this case, almost to buy your love right? How could you not? I know that you don't like taking these things, but I need to give it to you. So again, they're not listening to your boundaries, right? When they come in and, and this is, I gave <clears throat> my career, I gave up my career so we could move here to Colorado so that he could have his career. And I gave up my, oh, you don't have to work. Well, you know what? 10 years of not working set me back financially in, in so many ways, no 401k mm -hmm. savings, everything else that comes along with that. Like you don't have to work deal. People don't realize as much as that sounds like a glorious thing, it is putting you in, in a different place. But that rich narcissist, as you said, they want you to be their slave. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to go on 15 vacations a year and no job you're going to get is going to let you leave that often. Right. Right. So after having the rich narcissist and that money stuff, I get up with another one and I'm like, I don't want a rich narcissist. I don't care if they don't have any money. It's not important to me. So this, this second one pretended he didn't have money. And he actually had me take him on a very expensive vacation to the Caribbean. And he's like, well, I upgraded us to first class, but we're worth it, aren't we? With my money. And mm -hmm. I was like, what you know again the poor narcissist is going to come in there and control you in a different way and your your head's going to spin going wow that's like mm -hmm. my budget dude but 
oh, you already did it. What am I supposed to do? Right. Never let them have the control of your money like that. And, yep. and we have to yep. keep that in mind. And if we don't understand that, that this is, this is abuse and this is control again, rich or poor, it doesn't matter which direction they're going to go. They're going to isolate you and they're going to, you know, control the way you spend your money. Right? Yep. It's okay for them to buy a new car, but you need a new car and it's going to be a problem. Right. So you, you brought up a good point about the boundaries issue. Like I remember with, um, the man that I was with, so I was married to my kid's father for 15 years. And he was not a narcissist. He was, you know, we, a great guy, I would say. Um, And we just fell out of love. And so when I got into the relationship and married my second husband, who turned out to be a narcissist, we were married for almost not even a year. um, Because I found out real quick that I was in a crap load of trouble. So I got out as fast as I could. But I remember talking to him about my wedding ring and telling him that I didn't want anything big. I just wanted like a very small ring. I, I, you know, just get something small. Like we don't have the money for it, blah, blah, blah. And then he went and opened up a credit card, um, a joint credit card. We went and opened up a joint credit card for his ring. Um, and he went and bought me like a $5,500 ring and guess who paid that off? (laughs) Right. Um, and so yeah, they, they, they push your boundaries. Now I did not want a ring that big, right? I wanted a small ring. So my second wedding, I did, you know, it, to me, it was more about the union and all of that. Like I would have just gone to the courthouse, mm-hmm. like for me. And, um, so that was a, that looking back now, it's like the boundaries of what I wanted we're always pushed based on what he wanted because of what he wanted everybody to think about him, right? Look at this beautiful wedding set. I got her mm-hmm. this one paid for it, you know, and, and I had the, the boundary that I had set was crossed. So, um, did I like the ring? Yes, it was beautiful. Uh, but, but that boundary is crossed. So that's, that's a great example of financial abuse is those boundaries are constantly being crossed. Absolutely. And I I know that a lot of victims of abuse, whether they had financial blocks to money beforehand, generally after abuse, like if you didn't have the control, now what are you supposed to do? You're on your own and you're like, where's this financial block coming from? Sometimes it is the abuse. I had to look at that really hard Mm -hmm. when I went through this because it was actually stuff from my childhood and the recordings from my parents that you'll never be good enough and all that stuff. So I'm not entitled to have my own financials. And so tell me more about the psychological blocks to money and how people can understand that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And actually on my podcast, I had a guest on who is um, a money therapist. His name's Ed Combs. And we talked about these, um, these, these blocks, like the conditioning of our mind from childhood. And so I was raised with um, a dad who worked all the time and a mom who stayed home. So I didn't have that type of relationship where I saw a working mom, you know, growing up, I thought like, I want to be a stay at home mom, like my mom and like, take care of the house. And like, I didn't know how that all worked. And so um, for me, I think a lot of women, we have these, we have these conditions of our, of our 
childhood, right? And, and I'm going to say, I'm going to give you an example of what conditioning of the mind looks like. Okay, this good. is a pretty, this is a good example. Cause a lot of people are like, I don't, I don't understand what that looks like. Okay. So I have four kids and I've lived in this house in the house that I own for 11 years. Um, it was the house that me and my first husband lived in and, you know, our kids brought home from the hospital and everything. Um, we have such bad, it's an old home mm-hmm. and we have such bad water pressure in this house that if you flush the toilet while the, somebody's in the shower, the water pressure goes way down and the water gets really hot. So my, my kids just know when somebody's in the shower, you don't flush the toilet. You don't like turn the washing machine on. You don't turn the dishwasher on. It's always a question like, is somebody in the shower? You know, if we're going to, you know, flush the toilet. So they've been so strongly conditioned that you do not flush the toilet when somebody's in the shower. Mm-hmm. So, so if we go to a hotel, they don't flush the toilet when somebody's in the shower and their whole life, they will probably question flushing the toilet while somebody's in the shower. So that's what conditioning of the mind is, right? It's a very simple concept, but yet if you explain it that way, it's like, okay, like I get that. So what are the things in our childhood that we were so conditioned with, like flushing the toilet while somebody's in the shower that we might not recognize? So for me, one of the things that actually on this podcast episode that I unpacked was that, um, there was a situation that happened where my mom always did the budget and my mom was always stressed out when doing the budget. Mm. So when I grew up, I always thought money was so stressful. It was such a stressful time. Like, Oh, doing the budget. It's like so stressful, right? Mm. I don't want to handle money. Money's so stressful. Um, and then also like I used to go shopping with my mom when, you know, as mental health days, um, I spent a lot of time with my mom and I absolutely love her. So you know, me and her talk and laugh about this now, like mental health days. So what do I do when I'm sad? I take mental health days and I go shopping. So these are the kind of conditions that we're raised with. So a lot of people that, that are brought up and I have a background. I was actually a chemical dependency, drug and alcohol counselor before I became a financial educator. And so there's a lot of these issues that we have. I don't want to say issues because I don't, I hate that word issue. Like we're an issue, but there's a lot of this, um, financial trauma that we have as a child that maybe we were brought up thinking that we're not good enough, thinking that we need a man to be there for us. And we can't live by ourselves. That's been a struggle that I've had since my second divorce is like, I'm a woman and I don't need a man. Like I can do this by myself. Um, I am strong enough. I am capable enough. And so it's rewriting those, that conditioning, rewriting those negative financial tapes in our head of, of how we, we do this. And, you know, I have a community, um, that I run that has support groups, um, on my website. And and we deal with this on a weekly basis of rewriting those financial scripts because they can be really, really ingrained in there. We don't even know they're so hidden. Absolutely. I mean, as you were talking, you know, with the the shower and and all of that, I flashed back to a recording that I hadn't thought about till you said that moment, but my father walked around and he just screamed lights, 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 and turning everything off. And, and we lived in a very, very big house and and yet it was always cold. And Mm. so, you know, don't turn up the heat and and, and it was just sort of this like 
you know, kind of limiting that, that, that is bad to have the heat on and, and be warm and be comfortable, mm. right. That the lights, I, I'm not anything like that at all, but there were recordings in my head from growing up that my parents were like, you better marry well, you'll never make it on your own. Mm. So then I married well, right. I, I, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. And, and it wasn't, I didn't marry him for his money, but like, again, that recording is so subliminal underneath everything. So until yep. you do the work and pull that out, like I didn't know that memory until I did all the work and went, oh, that's what that was, you know? And again, so self, you know, subliminal that I don't even really pin it. Now you and I have done the work. We can look at it and go, wow, look what we were missing, right? But the people who go through this is our, you know, it's their job right now to go, why did I allow this person to control my money? Um, whether you're the giver or you're the one that doesn't have the assets and you're, you're controlled. And, and how do I take that back? And how do I never let this happen again? So, so what are people are supposed to do to protect themselves at this point? Yeah, I think if you are going in as the person who does not make all of the money, I think that the key is to always make sure that you have your own bank accounts, your own credit card, at least one of each, yeah. and you have your own way of making money. Mm -hmm. Don't give up that income. Yeah. Don't give up that income. Um, and I think that's a huge mistake that I see so often is that people in domestic violence and financially abusive relationships, they give up their jobs mm -hmm. and they, they give up that freedom. And once that happens, like they're stuck not, not stuck permanently, but they feel stuck. Yeah. They feel like they don't have any options. Mm -hmm. And so they need to make sure that they have freedom to do that. So that's on that side. On the other side, if you're going in supporting somebody else, um, oh, the things I do, I know now that I wish I had known then, right? Your job is not to fix the other person. Your job is to take care of yourself. And if you have children from another marriage, take care of that other marriage. Do not put that other person on the deed to your house ever. Yeah. That was one thing that I stood firm on. Like, no, this is my house. I'm not putting you on the deed. Cause that was like a big, he wanted to get on the deed to the house. Like the, like the day we were married and even before the marriage, like, can and like, that's a must for me, Lauren. Like you need to put me on the deed to your house. Wow. That was like a source of contention and it was pushed all the time. And I, I refused, mm -hmm. I refused. Um, and because I was told by a therapist, mm -hmm. always protect your first family first. And my first family is me and my kids. Mm -hmm. So he said, do not ever put yourself in a situation where you and your kids will be homeless. Right. So you all. protect that house with everything that you have. And so that's, that was like, I always had this gut feeling of like, I made a mistake uh -huh. and I'm going to protect this house. Um, one th one problem that I had, um, was putting him as a, as an authorized user on a lot of my credit cards. Mm. Um, when I took him off as the authorized user, or I thought I had, he wasn't actually removed from having that still on his credit score. And so he still had access to seeing my spending on his credit score. 
Wow. So that's something that people need to keep in mind mm -hmm. that if you add them as an authorized user, they might have prolonged access to seeing your usage on that credit credit card because that credit card will stay on their credit score. Oh, wow. Um, unless they ask for it to be taken off. Um, at least that's the way it was in my case. Um, also, you need to make sure that you make very clear boundaries that you are that they need to get a job by this amount of date and you're not responsible for their their you know paychecks i ended up paying off about five thousand dollars of back child support for him um, i ended up paying um child support bills to his you know this ex-wife and this ex-girlfriend because he had kids from two different women um i ended up paying car payments i ended up paying for his kids Christmas presents one year, I ended up paying for his mom to come bring gas money. I mean, the, the, it, I, and I think back, if you've never been in this type of relationship, you don't understand, but they're so convincing. You think, I think back and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, I'm a financial educator for goodness sakes. Mm -hmm. Yet I fell for this, yeah. you know, because the tape that I was, that I was coming into this relationship with, I was raised in a Christian home. So when you get married, you know, my first marriage fell, you know, failed. I come into the second one and by good gosh, I'm not going to let this one fail. I'm going to do everything that I can. And, and as a, as a Christian woman, I, you know, you're taught to serve your husband, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And you're taught to let them be the head of the households. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm too like 21st century to, to really let that happen, to be honest, because I've been into, I'm independent. Um, but there is still that part of that, there is still that tape in me that says, you know, you, you can't give up on this. You need to give everything that you have. And when you become one, there's so many financial educators that say, you need to combine your finances. You're one, you need to combine your finances. And if you're in a financially abusive relationship, that's the last thing that you should be doing is combining your finances. Absolutely. To keep them separate. But if you come from a, like a church Christian background, that's like what they tell you to do. So that's where, that's kind of the tape that was playing in my head of, of, no, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what I've been taught my whole life, blah, 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 blah. Well, let me tell you, if I get ever get into a relationship again, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. No, ever, 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 ever. Like my money's mine, your money's yours. And we split everything. Right. Um, yeah. so yeah, those are, those are, <laughs> They're really good. And again, never give them money, never pay off their bills. Um, I, I, you didn't include something that I was writing down, which is commingling any kind of inheritance. Mm. You have to hold on to that no matter how much they pressure you. Come on, we could redo the basement. Let's do this. Let's do that. Oh, it'll be great. It'll be investment in our house. So you'll get it back. No, guess what? If you have $100,000 of an inheritance and you put it into your house, you've given away half of it because when mm -hmm. that house sells, you've lost whatever was there. There's no, oh, you get that $100,000 back. No, you get half of it back because you've commingled it, right? Your retirement, you know, just making sure that you do not stop building that because mm -hmm. if you're like, you and I, who had these abusive relationships, you walk away and you're like, okay, I'm 55. How am I going to start again? Site saving for retirement, right? Mm -hmm. 
make sure that you are on top of that. Don't pay their bills. You know, get a secret job if you have to babysit. Babysitters get a lot of money these days, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to mention was beneficiaries on accounts, um, especially life insurance accounts. That was a big thing that caused a lot of contention between me and my ex because I have a life insurance policy and he wanted me to sign the whole life insurance policy over to him. And I said, absolutely not you know, my ex-husband will get most of the money to take care of my kids. Uh And that was like, God forbid that I would give my ex-husband money. You know what I mean? And to him, that was like the ultimate sign of betrayal. And it's like, no, like my kids come before you. Uh And so, so these are the issues that cause the most amount of, cause I, I refuse to budge on, on some things, you know, like absolutely not. Uh So we set up a, a plan where you know, my first husband got this amount of money. And then my second husband got this amount of money way less than my first husband would have gotten, but it was a way to make him happy. Um, but in reality, my kids should have gotten everything because they're my kids. Right. So I did budge a little bit on that just because living with a narcissist that's unhappy is they'll bug you to to death if they're not happy. (laughs) So And again, you know, putting him on for even a small amount to kind of keep the bear, you know, quieter, um, don't forget to take them off. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing that people forget is, oh, they're beneficiary of my life insurance. They're, they're the um, executor of my will. You forget that you have to like cut them out of these things if the marriage fails. Um, and, and get support again, going to someone like you going to someone that is going to help you establish credit. If you don't mm-hmm. have it, um, all state has this wonderful financial free program that anyone can go look up. That's going to say, here's how you do this. Here's how you invest. Here's how you do this. Here's how you save. Here's how you get out of debt, right? Do those kind of programs to build your strength. Because if you don't like if you're just sort of, I'm not saying financially illiterate, but if you haven't had the control of the car, the keys to your financial future, these things might seem really foreign. So don't try to do it alone and and get some help so that you can reestablish yourself and build up what credit you're going to need so that you can go on and get your own apartment and live your life. Right. Right. Yep. Did we miss anything? Should we tell anyone any last minute parts? I think that, I mean, I know that you reiterate this over and over again, but I don't think that the finances are something that can be rebuilt very easily. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many resources out there, especially if you reach out to your local domestic violence shelter that can help you um, get back on track financially. I know that I have recently started volunteering at two local domestic violence shelters to offer financial education. Mm. There are so many opportunities and places out there that can, that can offer you free support. And so I would recommend that you find your, you know, a local shelter, a local domestic violence hotline. You can call them and talk to them about it. Um, I, they're very well versed in financial abuse. My guess is if you're experiencing financial abuse, you're also experiencing some other type of abuse. And so maybe financial abuse is the first step into admitting that you might have some other abuse going on. Um, I know for me, it took me taking a video into my therapist and saying, is this abuse? 
because I had never been around it before. And I didn't really know what was happening to me. And so, um, and she's like, oh my gosh, Lauren, yeah. Like you need, you need to get out of there, you know? And I just was uneducated. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's the first step in, in getting out, um, of a relationship and, and you don't have to be embarrassed by it. I mean, I, I'm a financial educator and I fell for it. So just like there are psychologists and psychiatrists that get hooked by narcissists and they're going, I should have known, right? But when you're living it, it's a different thing. So let go of the shame of all of this. And shame is such a big part of that financial block, right? Mm-hmm. It's the shame. So huge. I don't have it. I, I need it. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, how could I have let this happen? There's so much that goes on in financial abuse. So please educate yourself. Is there a really good resource? Is your book out there? How can people like learn more? Yeah. Um, well, I have a couple of podcast episodes on my podcast about it, the Hard Money Talks podcast. Um, so that's a great resource, but there's lots of great um, you know, articles just on the national website for domestic violence that there's it, it's becoming a, a wider um known topic that people are starting to recognize as domestic violence. So I think that they're starting to link it with other, you know, types of domestic violence. So there's lots of great resources out there, but I have a couple interviews um, on my podcast about this as well. Really help them. Great. Thank you. So we'll put a link down below and your URL is on the bottom. So they'll be able to get to your website and then go and find your podcast from there. I can't thank you enough for joining me today. And thank you really important discussion to help the victims of narcissistic abuse and the financial things that they face. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you found that helpful. I know that this is a very, you know, tender subject, but we need to understand it and we need to know how to get through it and how to rebuild ourselves. So this is Tracy Malone. I hope you got a little bit of financial abuse information and um, go and check out that all state financial thing. It's on all of the domestic violence websites. So if you go to the national domestic violence website, they have a link and um, they have funded this whole education program from all state just another piece of the puzzle, right? Just do the work and don't ever let this happen again. Uh, As you can see, the two of us have both experienced it. We're both intelligent and um, successful people. And yet we were taken advantage of both for me in the, the becoming the dependent one, because that's what he wanted. And then becoming the one who was the one that was taken advantage of by someone who in the end ended up being very wealthy and was just pretending to be poor so that he could get more out of me. These are con men and women. You have to remember, um, as Laura was telling the story about, um, you know, his, her second husband's demands of being on your title of your house and getting on your life insurance policies. These are absolute dead stops. No, just don't give away that power. I don't care how much you love them. If they loved you, they would respect your boundaries. So money boundaries are just as important as everything else, right? So this is Tracy Malone. Visit my website, Narcissist Abuse Support. We've got so much of of resources. We've got legal aid resources. Get some help. I know we have that financial stuff on there as well. So this is Tracy. I will see you next time. Thank you.